Hello there. My name's Phil Williams and I would like to welcome you to Audio Angling, the podcast site of fishingfilmsandfacts.co.uk. Sea anglers with long memories, a love of pioneering offshore involvement with big fish and a real sense of angling history are absolutely going to love this one. Sat beside me here is the man who, while he didn't actually start the offshore wreck fishing ball rolling, that particular honour going to our unity skippers Ernie Passmore and John Trost nonetheless became the key name that will be forever remembered and deservedly so as the wreckmaster, inspiring anglers not only from the UK but also mainland Europe to journey to Devon for some of the best pollock and coalfish action ever known. That being the legendary skipper of the Plymouth-based June Lippet, JJ McVicker. Also sat in with us here is another West Country legend in Mike Millman, who did so much of the time, and still does now in 2012, to promote fishing in the South West. But before we get into the nitty gritty of the interview, can we first clear up a couple of minor points? Where did the name Junely Peck come from, and what do the initials JJ stand for? Well, uh, the, the boat's name, uh, the Junely Peck, come from the owner, who was a bookmaker in the city, of Plymouth, and uh, he he made that name up from his wife and his children, and uh, JJ is my initials, James Jacob, after my father's father and my mother's father, and uh, now I've got a little grandson called Jacob, so <laughs> it's going on. So it's the late nineteen sixties, early nineteen seventies, and you're a young commercial fisherman working out from Plymouth. How did you get into commercial fishing in the first place? What were you fishing for? And how did that develop into one of the greatest angling episodes, not only in the history of Devon, but also of UK sea angling generally? I started commercial fishing with my uncles, who were on my mother's side. They were all fishermen from the Barbican. And my father was dead against me going fishing. He didn't want that. He wanted me to join the army because he was a career soldier. And he wanted me to join the army like he was and uh, I wasn't going to have that I wanted because as a boy I used to go out with my uncle fishing and that from like 1948 and um, when the time come and I left school to please them I joined the Royal Army Service Corps or the, that told the targets for the army and uh, we went on from there and I, I got a transfer to a landing craft and went to Suez come back from that joined the Merchant Navy and <laughs> And I had a trip away to South America and all the rest of the places and come home from that. I've been away nearly 12 months and I think I paid off for something like £86. And my uncle, who uh, was crabbing at the time, he said, uh, while you're on leave, could you give me a hand? Because I'm a crewman short. And while he was crewman short, the June Lepet was being built for... His crewman, Jimmer Vincent, the boat was being built for him. So Jimmer was about to leave my uncle and go on his own. And um, I remember walking up the road after doing a fortnight with him. He said, now you need a bit of money. I said, no, it's all right. I had the £86 I paid off. <laughs> he said, oh, no, you've done your work. And he gave me £86 when I counted it. And I thought, well, I've worked for, <laughs> I've been away for nearly 12 months and he had me, I was caught, he caught me, so that was that, that was that, I was well and truly a coin of the sinker, and um, I was with him until he sold the boat in early 60s, 
because when he sold the boat, I went back at a spell out to China and uh, on the um, Merchant Navy for a couple of couple of years. But um, when I come home, that's when I started commercial fishing on my own again. We were crabbing mainly with a with my uncle. We're in long lining for congers and whatnot in the winter. We used to work nine mile a line, uh, three thousand old arcs, and. Um, Believe you me, I've seen some big congers come up on that on on the airlines. Um, I know just back at the breakwater, we pulled one up one night. One night there, he must have been 150 pound in weight, massive great fish. And I know one come off the arc, or he didn't come off the arc. He had a fish inside him. He had a conger inside of him about a 20 pound in weight. The 20 pound in weight one was on the arc, and this fish had him down to as far as his gills. And when he come just about to break the water, he released him and gone. And he was like a miniature submarine, I'm not joking. And um, I remember the skipper's comment was, I'm glad he hadn't come aboard, he said. He would have done a lot of damage if he'd have come aboard. And I believe he would have too. He was a big, big, big fish. While we're on the subject of congers, my recollection of you is as a drift fisherman for pollock and coal fish. Anchoring the wrecks to put baits down wasn't something most people will associate Junely Pet with. Why I'd done that, it was losing time factor for the customers. I could have quite easily gone out and dropped the anchor and wasted half a day, but I, I didn't like to do that. I didn't like to do that. I like to try to be working all the time for the, for the customers aboard the boat. And of course there was a selection of fish, pollock and cod and ling and whatever. And nine times out of ten, I always used to find out if you drop the anchor, the wind used to change just at the wrong time. Or the yeah, and um, the like of that would happen. And then the day would be messed up sometimes. I, I've dropped the anchor quite a, n a number of times, uh, and I had quite a lot of conger. Um, I know one time there, the um, boys from Ivy Bridge they they booked the boat to to break a record of catching three thousand pound of plus of fish on whatever amount of tides and um, we done with no problem we 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 done that with, with no problem we visited three three wrecks and and um, there was a stacks of fish there then stuck absolutely stacked up and and the last day there we just anchored up and, and had so many congers you wanted yeah many people still go wreck fishing today and love it but in truth it's no more than a shadow of its former self and to really appreciate that fact, people need to understand the wreck situation back then. Those days, if you if you did come along a, a virgin wreck, it was bonanza, <laughs> bonanza, and uh, a mixture as well. You know, you had uh, you had plenty of ling and pollock and cod and all kinds of things and bream, which has only just come back onto show after years of uh, being missed out of Plymouth. They've just come to show up again. Is this the Reds or the Blacks? Both. Oh, the Reds are coming back again, are they? Yeah, they've just started to come back. And um, I, I think I, I had one, or not my, not me personally, but uh, Angler I took out a few years ago. 2008, something like that. They had uh, Red Bream up to five, five and a quarter. And which was nice to see, and then the guy that caught it didn't even know what it was, and I said, well, we've been waiting for about 15, 20 years for one of those to come along, and from then on, there's been odd one coming in, so they're making a comeback. 
So what sort of numbers of wrecks available to you are we talking about here? Well, I had loads, uh, because I was finally, be being a commercial fisherman, I had loads of to pick from, because the commercial trawler men would give me what information I wanted. There was no, there was no secret from that in those days, and... Um, the only drawback I had, I didn't have a very fast boat. She wasn't very fast, and she'd have been down in Newland and more or less laid off. As the when I went and picked her up in '69, I must have been '69. I went down to Newland and picked her up with another chap, and uh, the engines was just two big balls of rust. Divers had used her for um, catching crayfish off uh, Cape Cornwall, and. Um, I had to nurse the engines along and, and all the rest of it, and uh, which is quite of a bit of a headache. I took on two hands, three hands, sometimes two, sometimes three, all depends what we were doing, and long lining mainly. Um, gill netting as well, a little bit of gill netting, but mainly long lining. I never ever got involved, even with my newer boats, what I've had in the recent years, I've never ever got involved with pitting nets over wrecks because of my past I, I let that go and I never ever got involved with that and what sort of numbers of big fish would he be looking at on those wrecks back then could he give people who don't know a flavour of just how good it could actually be well it would, it would go absolutely wild as soon as the bits went down they were talked by a ling or a massacre ling and that. I, know, I know we were out back at the Edison there I had a trip with uh, the, the local boatmen they all come out um, to see to see what I was about <laughs> Mike 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 <laughs> <laughs> you're snoring sorry go on size of the fish when I started angling first uh, the, the um, where they done it from the angling centre they said well they all closed down in October and that and um, lay their boats up. And I thought that was strange because most of the pollock and cod and, uh, and ling come into their own. They, they'd be big healthy fish um, and, and in good condition. And uh, I thought that was strange that they would stop fishing at that time. It was, it was down to the size of their boats, I think, more than anything, and the weather. I think they thought Instead of, in, in those days, with the clothes and that, or everything that people used to wear, they would protect ourselves against the weather. I mean, nowadays, they put on lovely clothes and they can go out and have a gale of wind and, and things are all right. But spend 10 hours out in a... <laughs> but uh, I, I know we took these local boatmen out and um, I think Jim Bryant come along himself. And uh, we went back at the Eddystone and I went on a certain wreck there and there was absolutely so many fishes you wanted to catch. And, and I know one of the skippers, Bill Broom, is, is no longer with us, unfortunately. He had a massive great ling. He chucked the earth just as he was about to come into the side of the... And he was a fish, 35, 40 um, pound. And he said, that's a record fish. Slip the anchor and get him. And not knowing nothing about records and all the rest of it, I said, no, it's all right, you catch another one. And it was as simple as that. I was perhaps a bit green, I didn't know. And uh, he was a bit furious. He said, I, I could have had rods and reels for that. I could have done this, I could have done that. But the fish went away. And um, 
we had a nice nice day here and, and that's how it was you could you could open, catch so many fish as you wanted really yeah and how did a typical year's fishing run what species turned up when and which seasons fished best for each yeah well uh, in the beginning part of the year around about Christmas time and uh, New Year was a time for the big um, cool fish and um, there again we didn't know we didn't respect or I didn't respect what size they were and what they represented I mean I've been smashed up with big fish but didn't take no notice of it and, and just and rather than play them I used to just circle them up like you know I know we got broke up several times and Steve Barrett he, he used to come out crewing with me he was a very good out and a good angler first class angler we got smashed up several times and we always predicted that the, the fish were well over 30 pound in weight and I know, I know, I know a time that we the England Times hired the, the vessel to go down to Mavigizzi to build Mavigizzi up a bit rather than keep on promoting Plymouth so they hired the boat for a couple of weeks to go to Mavigizzi and Falmouth and uh, prior to going down to Mavigizzi um, that morning early one of my friends on the trawler come in and uh, he said where are you going I said down Mavigizzi oh he said we've been hung up on a wreck all night so immediately he said what wreck was that then he said off the, the um, Dubman he said, not very far off. So uh, I said, well, give us the numbers. Did you get the net clear? He said, oh, yeah, the net jumped and come clear. He said, but we was hung up all night. He said, and the fish around it, there was a load of fish here. So I had the numbers right away. And uh, we went down, and they all jumped aboard. And the first place I went was out there. And um, we filled the boat, absolutely filled the boat up with double-figure cold fish. Nothing else, just double-figure co-fish. And the chappy who helped me unload was Colin Williams, who was a school teacher at the time. And he said, I'm not having no more of the school teacher. <laughs> I'm going to go angling, which is only natural, and um, which he did. And uh, masses and masses of co-fish. And we, I think we moved about twice in the day on a drift. They were everywhere. And... Um, the following week we went down to Falmouth to build up Falmouth to give Falmouth a bit of a publicity and um, had a bit of uh, trouble there with the locals not allowing us to come in on the customer's key because they thought we were touting for trade on the key I said no this is all ready and, and to overcome that when we come in I got the biggest ling I had and took it up to the one of the troublemakers. I said, "There, you have a ling on us," and uh, I never had no trouble after that. <laughs> yeah, we had we had a nice time down there, and plenty of big pollock in the winter too. Oh yes, yeah, so record pollock and uh, record coalies. We're right up to February in those days. I, I find the seasons of, of of like what would be February in those days would be March now. That's what I find, I think, anyway. And then, of course, the bream in the summer with the pollock and coalies and that. Occasionally, we, we did drop the anchor and, <laughs> and have a few congers and that. But, uh, yeah, it was all right. It was good. Could the lingon conger be caught all year round? Would they be seasonal, too? Yeah, I found uh, if you if you moved off to a slightly deeper water in the, in the summer, 
you catch more ling. You catch you catch uh, so much ling as you want to. And my belief is what I've seen over the years that the cod and the ling come in from the deep water in the winter. They come in to spawn, and I think they come in to take the weight off the weight of the pressure of the water off when they're spawning. They come in right and they come up the rivers. They go right in the shore and run up the rivers. And I, I think the only reason they do that is to take the weight off the when they're spawning. What range of sizes of codling are we talking about here? Record stuff. Now after I was just speaking to a guy there that was gold and this winter just gone. He had a sixty odd pound cod in his net, just on what they call a ledge just off the Plymouth Sound here. Massacre fish. And I've always predicted that there's sixty pound fish is you can get them, no problem. <laughs> I wish it was as easy as that. Well, they've had one of the best cod seasons ever, ever, and I don't know why that is. I know why the wrecks went very, very quiet, and it wasn't all to do with um, gill netting. The, the French trawlers were trawling the wrecks at one period of time. I know when I come back from Scotland, I had a trip out on uh, the Adventurous, and uh, we went out wrecking with a little gang of us, and uh, we were told to get away out of it because this French trawler, big French trawler come in and he whacked in oh he whacked up a trawl full of fish, pollock mainly but that didn't do the racks a lot of good Now so far all the talk has been about heavy ground species but there were some soft ground species too such as turbot, not to mention your own anglerfish record That was totally skilled <laughs> uh, No I uh, Actually, in fact, that was the day that we we had. Um, they put a bit of pressure on me to catch this three thousand pound of fish in so many tides, which wasn't my idea, by the way. I did. I never volunteered for it uh, as such, or I didn't put the idea forward. It was put forward by uh, Digger Ebden, the conger catcher. But um, I wouldn't allow the fish. I've Clive Gammon, uh, sports writer. He's a big. Clive was Bernard Cribbins. Uh, Bernard Cribbins, yeah, and uh, uh, Clive Gammon, uh, he made the report on the, on the trip. When he called time to the fishing, I know I, I looked at the sounder, which I'll come to in a minute. Uh, I looked in the sounder and I thought, that's a nice bit of fish. I'm going to get a fish for my supper. I said, well, I'm going down now, because they'd all stopped fishing. I said, I'm going down to catch a fish for my supper. And I went down with a perk, and I had him. And when he came out of the water, he was like a dustbin. <laughs> and um, it was like pulling up a dustbin as well, believe you. We had a big ship coming down on us, and they said, I was saying, is everybody up? Because I was watching the ship. They said, yeah, you're the only one that's down. And um, it took a bit of getting up because his mouth was open. I, the lure was on his lip, and they had pulled his mouth open. And uh, believe you and me, he was heavy coming up. But uh, yeah, that was... Uh, that was the end of the day then, and we we had uh, all the fish we wanted, yeah. What weight was that? He was 74, 74 something. Oh. That was a record, yeah. yeah. And I think he was broke again by a Mavic, somebody had a Mavic with Colin on, on, on the same wreck, I think, yeah. If someone specifically wanted to be in with a chance of a record for each of the main species found out over the wrecks, what would be your recommendation for each in terms of seasonal timing and tides? If it was for pollock, and, and uh, of course winter time, and cool fish in uh, winter time, and with a big tide, 
preferably jumping up to the biggest toy and that's the way it worked in those days. Bearing in mind a lot of the um, skippers that took out anglers and I don't know if Michael would agree on, on what I'm going to say now and maybe a bit controversial thought that the fish hid behind the wreck for shelter they thought that was like a refuge and they hid behind the wreck but it was totally different the fish were up tight down here whether anywhere else I don't, I'm not going to speak about anywhere else but down here the fish are up tight and the more bigger the tide the further away from the wreck the fish are has that anything to do with the pressure wave, do you think? I would think so. And as soon as that tide changed, you could see the fish more or less going back to the wreck and going to go around the other side. Say the flood tide, they come the other way. You could more or less watch them going back to the wreck and then going around and doing the opposite the other side. As soon as the tide come the other way, they'd work away. Stronger the tide, further away. And that's, that's the way it was. And would the size and force of a tide also have a say in how high above the bottom fish would prefer to be? I mean, some days you'd have a struggle. Uh, some days you would struggle to catch a fish because that is fishing. And I think the weather conditions, what the weather was at the time or had been or may be, made all the difference to the fishing of that day. Atmospheric pressure on the water. Pressure on the water, I think, controls the fish more than what well, they, they they live in it they know better than what we do I mean they say you see when, when the wind's in the east uh, the fish bite the least but I think the pressure on the water control what they do and the tide and for the lean conger and cod what part of the tide was best suited to fishing for those deadish and possibly just gone dead tide but the tide first or second of the jump at the tide just so that you could if you work on top of the anchor so you would hold on to the wreck you have enough tide just to hold you on to the wreck and um, I always found that was alright yeah. and time of year congers from May on more or less all the year really I know one one day, one of the last times I went like we had a crowd from uh, Bridgewater, I think it was, and one of the Bristol boys, it was Bridgewater they come from, a good crowd of conger, you know, catching congers and that good, they conger fanatics, and we were on a wreck out the channel, and we'd have pulled the anchor up, and there was a lovely load of conger there, and um, one of the boats from Medigizzi come out to put nets over the rack. I said, can you give me ten minutes? Give me ten, yeah, no worry, because I knew them all. Yeah, no worry, carry on. And we laid the wind, because I worked out the wind and the tide was absolutely perfect. I just stopped the boat and went over with all their conger gear on and they caught conger after conger and they were up to 80 pound in weight. They're beautiful fish, beautiful great fish, but I didn't even have to drop the anchor because the wind and the tide was at such. It was, and they were all good conger fishermen. Which is another thing, if you got the if you've got the conditions right and you've got the right team aboard then and you're in with a chance of doing something about it yeah, yeah. now earlier you mentioned the anglerfish record which was an unexpected bonus catch but were there not times when you would either target or realistically expect to see clean ground species and in particular turbot coming up from the sand billups around a wreck 
when Decker was first put aboard the boat, um, we were talking about a massive great machine uh, with valves and took an awful lot of power, Michael would know. I would have to stop every so often and take a link out of the belt to, to get the charge into the decker, to charge the decker up because the decker would be starting to flop and go everywhere. And if you didn't have enough power on that old Mark V, it, it wouldn't work. So what I used to do is run her out, stop, out say, hour out, point some macro, stop the engine, take a link out the belt, Right, now I could go another hour and the belt would be enough power to... That's right. So I, used, I remember one day we went, we were going up to the um, 18s or one of the wrecks up east and uh, it's the start of the banks here with the kind of a, a nice turbot or two there. And uh, I um, stopped the boat. I said to, to have the decker working properly, Tom, I got to the wreck. I said, no, I'll do the belt and uh, stop the engine. I said, while you're here, put a bed over the side. I said, you get a turbine here on the... Yeah, we wait. We'll wait till we go. I said, I'll go for a turbine. And out of all of them, only one book, that was Jack of the Baker in South yeah. High Street. Jacko. Local man. Had a bakery ja shop over in Jacko, South Jacko, And, um... He went over the side and he catch a 30 pounder. <laughs> and if they'd all had a go, and Tom, they, they, Tom, they all got ready. I made sure that I was on the way for the wreck. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, it was so. for the next time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And to help put things into a little more perspective, you actually brought the Corfish record twice in consecutive days. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. well I think I... Steve, possibly Steve Barrett was with me, I think, and uh, Roger Hoskins, and two or three more. And uh, I think I caught the record on the um, Ingram's Eels, Medigas Eels, which was an yeah, excellent, excellent uh, lure in those times because prior to that, it was a, like a surgical. Yes, it was cut in half, sliced in the side. That's all they used to use. The Eddystone for the bass and uh, and all the rest of it. That was about the only lure you had. But uh, once these um, red girls come on the market, they were very, very good. And of course, the the, the perk was also good for um, well, good for pollock and coalfish. And I know we catch a record. What was his name? Steve Stevens, a local Plymouth. Chap, he caught a, a record cool fish with me. Uh, we'd have been catching big fish all day long, and uh, when they fell on the deck, they were bringing up small, couple inch, two or three inch scats. And he pushed the Mavigizzi eel up and put the scat on as well. And I said, Well, if you catch anything with that, I'll eat my hat. You won't catch nothing with that. You've just spoiled the eel. And he went down and caught a <laughs> record coolfish. <laughs> so he proved me wrong. <laughs> uh, I know uh, another time we had the Bristol crowd down. They were regulars with me. And um chappy with a moustache, I forgot his name. Harris, was he called? But, uh, 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 Tony Harris. It was Harris. Wasn't Tony it? That's Harris. going back a bit, yeah. And uh, he hadn't, I don't think he'd have done a lot of fishing, but... 
he knew when he had that one on and I knew they were there I said to Steve because Steve was helping me I said go up I can't I can't touch I said go up on the boat because we had a bet with the the bucky that owned the boat that we would break the record again and um, I said get on you go up and have a, have a go and he went up and got a burst and I said he's blinking line and Tommy got down maybe he had pulled the record for shot and that day was a lot of big fish there a lot of big fish and of course the one he had wasn't the biggest I'm sure of that I'm, I'm sure out of that school of fish it, it, he's nowhere near the biggest it was just being the right place at the right time So was it luck or was you doing something in particular that none of the other boats was doing? <laughs> luck I suppose I don't know I don't know. I like to think that uh, my commercial side would come out. I'd work hard to try. Well, not my, oh, I'd yeah, work hard to try to uh, work hard at it to to um, achieve yeah. something for everybody. And I had. I don't know. This sounds a bit corny nowadays, but the echo sounders that the other fellas had, they weren't the best of things. They had uh, the pen that went round and marked off and. And Decker come to me one day and they said, look, there's a Norwegian sounder coming out called the Simrad. And uh, we would like to try it on a small boat. They've got it on big boats, but they haven't got it on a small boat. And I was the first small boat in the UK to have a Simrad sounder put in by Decker. And uh, wrestling, when you say, is history because that was a fantastic bit of kit in those days because I had never seen nothing like that I could literally and, and Steve and, and all them to all the people that I, I'd show I could identify cod ling coalfish every species of fish I could identify with the marks on that sounder and, and there's no question about it I think because Steve Barrett was so fascinated by it he used to take the old echo sounder papers and I think he put them up in his bedroom all around the wall because uh, it would show you a, a school of coalfish above uh, Pollock a crowd of ling down by the rack and odd cod there cod would come up different than the ling and the Pollock would come up different than the coalfish the swim bladder and all that stuff yeah. and I, I could see that because catching it, seeing it, and catching it as quick as that, because I didn't never ever played with fish. I just said, get down, catch it, and arc it up, and wind in, and that was it. If it got off, it got off. But <laughs> if you've seen it, nine times out of ten, you had it. Hopefully, anyway. <laughs> but uh, that was a fantastic bit of kit. Yeah. Imagine going out to those wrecks then with today's electronics. Oh, oh, a luxury. I went out to a friend of mine got a angling boat here and he took me out and he wanted to take me out last weekend. I missed it. But uh, we went out last year and oh, absolutely fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. Easy. So, what was the final tally of records about Junely Pet? To be honest, I don't, I don't remember. Um, about three, four. We had about. We broke about uh, four, four or five times. Uh, five coldfish. Coldfish, 
and I knew the Pollock uh, the, um, uh, Michael would be more knowledgeable than me but there was a somebody in Penzance donkeys years before uh, a quarter Pollock 23 pound in weight well I knew there was more bigger Pollock in that because of my commercial side we used to wait for the tide to ease for, for the corks to come up we used to use corks in those days and the, in the middle of the summer they used to get all weed on and they used to sink and they used to wait, wait for the bit slack water and they used to come up well, while we were waiting we used to set the put the feathers over the side on hand lines and catch on the rocks if you're on the pinnacles and that catch I knew that uh, if you went on a wreck that there was bigger pollock on the wreck and you was going to catch bigger than 23 <laughs> I knew that was going to happen and which it did with um uh, Roger Hoskins. I always found that um, there was a limit to east, going east, for catching Pollock. Yeah. There was an armful of wrecks you'd catch Pollock on, and if you went any further east, the Pollock would get smaller. For some reason, I don't know. And the same as if you went southwest of Stone, mainly Ling, mainly Ling. And, um, down towards the Griffin and uh, the um, Dubman, you had a mixture of fish again, uh, cold fish and pollock and ling and everything. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that the anglerfish record you caught took a perk. Now, when I was researching for this interview, I came across a mention of a JJ McVicker technique for perk fishing. So, what's that all about? I used to touch the bottom, wind in a fathom and let that thing go loose. Let the perk go on its own. Like lay in the water. Like, as soon as you touch the bottom again, wind up again, let him go. Let the perk do what it wanted to do. Flip around in the water. And uh, catch any amount of fish like that. Any amount. That's with cold fish and, and pollock as well. Yeah. You also mentioned as a commercial fisherman catching and seeing fish way bigger than the current records. So based on that, what do you reckon the potential signaling weights for the regular X species are? I honestly think that the coolies would be on forty pound forty pound in weight. And Pollock possibly the same. Yeah. I've seen huge quick Pollock, but uh, off the West Rusts even. I've got a I had a bit of wreckage there, um, in amongst all the rocks because I always wondered why there was big Pollock coming up there and it was um, evidently a small bit of wreckage there yeah. but uh, if you hit that you always have huge quite pollock huge but in the nets I would be but I, I never got involved with commercial fishing over the wrecks with, with nets and I never ever because of my with my past If commercial fishermen using livers are catching bigger fish than anglers are they doing something different that anglers might like to know about? Or is it purely down to them getting out to sea more often? Yeah, more often. Yeah, more often. I know when the card record did, there was two guys that used to go out from the Clyde, and um, I think one was my namesake, and and uh, he said uh, we'll catch the record for the card up in um, Scotland, up in the Clyde, and um, I always predicted that they, that. Um, at the time, because um, Anglian Times used to love me, um, <laughs> stories going around because they sold more papers. Um, I know at the time I, I said that the, the cold record would go down here. 
and within a very short time, Ernie Passmore and, and by trust, they, they, they caught a big fish, I think it was 50 or 50 odd. 53. Was he, Michael? 53. Yeah, and so that proved me right. And um, possibly two or three of those misses that we had on our boat might have been something better than that even. Um, and I'm sure, I'm sure it was. But we, I did, like I say, I didn't appreciate what was happening at the time. It was Eric McVicker on the Clyde, and from experience, well, I wouldn't bother fishing with him again. I fished up in uh, Scotland commercially with, uh, for lobsters on a big 70-odd footer. And um, I, I know one day we were cleaning out the bins, waiting on the new bait to come up in the lorry, salted bait, and we were chucking all the bait over the side, and my crewman said, I mean, it in a place called Port Askey on Isley. And uh, he said to me, there's a conger down there, he said. When I threw that bed over the side, that old rubbish, he said, there's a conger come out, because the water was like gin, you could see right down through. He said, it went from that pile there to that pile there. I said, my God, that's a Loch Ness monster, he's escaped. He said, no, I'm not joking. And the night before, a trawler had been alongside us, and he chucked a load of bait for us aboard, and um, in amongst it was a squid. So I just... Put an irk on, on my rod, because I had my rod down the four peak. Put an irk on, put the squid on, chucked it over the side like that, and within two minutes, a blooming great age come out <laughs> and grabbed it. <laughs> and I had him up and I pulled him up, and they were down below the, the crew doing the bait. And I pulled him up, and I, they all come over from the, the, the seats and that around the jetty and they were all fascinated and I was a fish about 60 70 pound in weight right there right in right underneath a massive great fish like that yeah <laughs> uh, and the, I, I think uh, I think that the, the Gulf Stream it's up there a little bit before it it's down here because um, I know in May up there we've seen several great sharks that was out by the um, Ultra Lighthouse, I think it was called, which was like looking in the back of Northern Ireland. And um, there's several great big sharks there. And, and I'm, I'm sure that the Gulf Stream hits there before it, it actually comes up the English Channel. I'm not sure. No, well, I'm not really, but I know there was a lot of fish there. So we've established that there was a quality of fishing at that time, the likes of which had not been enjoyed before and almost certainly will never be enjoyed again. But you still had to catch them, and for that purpose, new developments were coming along all the time, including arguably the most important of them all, the rubber eels from Alex Ingram, particularly when retrieved slowly through the water column on a long trace known as a flying collar. The big question is, did you, with your commercial fishing background, introduce anglers to the technique, or was it the other way around? Well, possibly that, that the um, commercial man used to use it uh, in the spring to the summer, catching mackerel on uh, shearlets, just one single flying arc, and they would catch bass and and but mainly for mackerel. Um, possibly it come from that. It was used in Cornwall first. Yeah, came up from Cornwall. Yeah, they used to use shear weights to take the. They used to work four lines. Two on rods and two with shear weights just to take the take the lines out from the side of the boat, and um, 
they'd have a flowing trace on there and they always say longer the flowing trace the better the, the fishing you, you wouldn't have a short trace bigger the tide uh, yeah longer the trace yeah what sort of maximum length are we talking about here I fished up to 20, yeah. 20 feet in a, yeah. in a big tide. Yeah. Got to be very careful when you let it down, though. Yeah. Came off of an 8-inch boom or 8 to 10-inch boom, single boom, single weight, obviously under the boom. Yeah. An L boom was the best. Yeah. And um, you had to let it down slowly enough to ensure that the tide was taking the lure away. Keep keeping it free from tangles. So that you wouldn't get a tangle. Yeah. It was the most deadly way yeah. of getting Pollock. I'd, I'd agree with that. that. That was more successful than um, three years in a row. Yeah, yeah. I'd fish that yeah. any time. Yeah. The fish had to be thick, plenty, plenty of it. Now I always found, and that was another little secret that I had, if, if, if I went down I had the three eels on, if I went down, I'd let one grab hold and do nothing. Let the other, let him run away with the eels, and nine times out of ten, he'd, he'd attract two more pollock to the other eels. So you had three, three nice pollock. Feel them all go on. Yeah, now. yeah, yeah. And then, then you would bring them up. <laughs> right. Let's say we've just arrived at a wreck. After plotting its position, the first thing is to motor off up tide to start your drift. So all the lines go down. Then you wait for it to show on the sounder before starting to slowly retrieve. And from the sounder, you could probably give the anglers a good idea of how far up to expect the first take. I used to try to keep them informed that the fish were halfway down or halfway up. Yeah, yeah, yeah halfway up. <laughs> and um, I try to keep them informed that way. Or on the bottom. Sometimes there would be a bunch of fish were on the bottom. Or, you know, they have to be careful as the boat went back over the wreck that they didn't lose a gear. Or, which didn't go down very well. It wasn't very nice for me for, the, for them to lose gear because I have to break them out nine times at the time. But uh, yeah, I try to keep them informed. And I st like you said, I used to say to them, count how many reels you're going in. If you've counted it, then you know where the fish are and then you know for the next time. Oh yeah, it was 30 turns, whatever. 30, yeah. You can move yeah. fast up to whatever the level was. Mm. Three or four fish at a certain level told you exactly where the main yeah. opportunity lay. So it went down, hit the bottom, up fast, yep. through yep. to the 30 turns, or whatever it might be, yeah. Yeah. and then start it, retrieve, for real. Yeah, yeah. Did any particular size or colour regularly do better than the rest? Sometimes the black lure used to, uh, used to work extremely well, and then on another day, for some reason, it, it wouldn't work so, so well. A yellow one or a red one it would be better. But red and black used to be the main colours. Um, I think I'm remembering about it. I still got a load actually back of uh, I got I was quite friendly with uh, Ingram, yeah, Ingram, nice. Ingram, yeah. Oh he's dish him out, yeah. didn't he? Yeah, he nice, nice I'll guy. come back with a quick box of them. Nice guy. Spread them around. Yeah. We did actually almost get to fish together back in the nineteen seventies, but unfortunately the weather blew that particular trip off. After that, I spent a lot of time with Dave Elworthy on Anginica and also did a few trips with Geordie on Artilleryman, mainly because they would anchor with the conger and the link. He mentioned earlier your reasons for preferring to fish on the drift, but was it not a case of your speciality being catching the pollock and the coalfish? As I said, it was, um, I didn't want to waste too much of the day, and uh, I could try to target fish by being on the move all the time. 
The point at which a reasonable wrecking trip became a newsworthy trip was when the catch crashed through the £1,000 barrier. But when you break it all down, if you have 10 anglers on board, that could easily be less than half a dozen fish apiece, which, if it included Ling and Conga, could even go lower than that. It represents something, half a dozen fish each. Sometimes if they were on Ling, Conger or whatever big fish, it, it, it didn't take a lot. Twelve anglers. How often did you achieve it then? Oh, quite a number of times. Quite a number. I can show you letters from some of the clubs up the line that uh, I had uh, saying thank you very much for a lovely day and all of us. Uh, um. So what sort of weights could you achieve and how often did you regularly achieve them? You catch a thousand, no problem. And, and that's why I think that they, they suggested to catch this three thousand pound in, in so many tides. I think that's how that come about, because um, um, it becomes so um, common catching a thousand pound. They wanted to do something different, and uh, um, as I said, we we done that no problem. Bearing in mind, I I was um, being a commercial fisherman and and uh, had a young family on the way. Um, I needed every penny we had, and I didn't used to charge a lot of money to go out. It was, I think, about three pound a day, something like that. So, <laughs> oh yeah, no money. <laughs> Supplemented by the notorious two fish take-home limit. I'll tell you how that come about. And it was all took out of context. Uh, two chappies walking on the key or over on the angling key over there. They were looking absolutely bewildered, and they said, "Oh, we, we've lost, we've missed our boat." Is there any chance you can come out with you? Locals from Plymouth. So I said, well, no, not really. I said, you have to go down and ask the organiser who's hired the boat. So I went down and we showed it down to her, and a uh, woman it was, and uh, I said, can these two come with us? And they'll pay you. So, yes, of course they go. So they come along with us. Well, Steve Barrow was with me with me and we got off the moonstone and I stopped the engine I said go on catch some mackerel and mackerel were scarce pretty scarce during one of those blimmin' months when they, they won a lot around and that and um, I changed the, done the belt tightened the belt up I had a look up see everybody everything was alright with everybody Steve was there taking the mackerel off putting them we had a box in the middle of the boat on with a bit of voice in that was for everybody and I see one of these guys putting the mackerel that he caught he only caught two into a bin liner so I said no don't do that put them in the box put your mackerel in the box he said don't you tell me about it I said well I'm just being a you know we're here for a day's fishing everybody's on the same boat and I thought well the only way I can do this it's not allowing to catch any more mackerel and uh, I got underway because we had a half a box of mackerel and I said now whatever happens you don't touch any of that mackerel if you've caught your own mackerel and that's the way you want it don't touch anybody else's you've made the rules so um, his friend who was younger he, he put some mackerel in the box and uh, we got on the rack and um, started fishing, they caught cod, ling, or the usual thing, and um, poo congers. And, and uh, I said, Do you want to put some bait on? There's loads of bream here, red bream. So the younger one, 
who I'd never had words with, I helped him out. I have gloves on, Bailey's irk on, and he had three or four irks on, or three irks or whatever it was, he went over the side. And so he calmed down and catching these red bear, and bearing them on, I'm, as I'm catching them, I'm taking them off and helping so much as I can, and they're having a fantastic day. And the guy that's only had the two macro and put in his bin liner, I looked up, he's asleep because he's got no macro left. He's only caught about four bring with the macro he had. He got no macro left and he's asleep in the corner of the boat. But his friend has caught half a bin, bin liner full. And uh, I've put loads down below and all that stuff. And uh, coming home, I said to Steve, if that chappy that was asleep wants any fish, don't let him have any. Because he wasn't part of the trip. <laughs> he upset me from where to go. I said, in fact, I'll do it. So I went down to the fish room. I, st I said, steer a throw. So I went down to the fish room and I heard him say to the other guy, the younger guy, well, if we take them down to the Chinese restaurant tonight, that would be quite a bit of money. I, I, I thought that's more money than I'm earning. Not that I'm against anybody earning any money, it's up to them, but his attitude was to, completely wrong. So when I'm down the fish room, I, I shouted out, what do you like out of anything down here? What do you want? Take what you want. So a couple of ling, yeah, a couple of ling. Can I have a couple of ling and a pollock? Yeah, that's what do you want. They all had their fill. And I said, come to the youngster, and I said, do you want anything? Thinking that he said, yeah, I'll have a pollock or something like that. Because he hadn't caught the pollock because he'd been on these bream because they were after the bream for the money. So I said, he said, yeah, I'll have a couple of bream, two or three bream. And I said, no, you won't. You've got your bream in the bag. Well, that caused more <laughs> problems <laughs> than you could imagine. But these, the Anglin Times, and I, I used to phone me up, because there was those that were for me and those that were against me. And I wouldn't hard and fast rule. We put a notice up. We'd show your appreciation if you only take two fish, two of your choice. So it means that if you come along and you only caught one wedding for the day, you could take two great big pollock or a pollock and a ling. If come the end of the day, we had a ton of fish and there was only a handful of fish left, I'd say for God's sake, take the lot. I don't want it. It's no good to me, a handful of fish. But if there was a lot of fish and it was going to go to waste, like the congers and all the rest of it, I could put it on the key as a commercial and sell it to help for the running cost of the boat. Nothing else. Nothing else. And so and it wasn't hard and fast rules. It was just show your appreciation if you only take two fish. Well, they were delighted, the angling papers, because they said we never sold so many papers in all our life. They said those that couldn't get out with me were against me and those that were with me and could get out with me were for me. So it was it was all right. I didn't mind. I didn't mind. And, and I never had no... From the actual anglers, I never had no comeback, not really, not really. Um, the lo those two particular individuals, they, uh, or the older one of the two, was uh, something to be older. I said, I can't, don't tell me how to fish. I said, well, I'm not telling you how to fish. I'm just saying that we're all as one aboard this boat. There's a box of mackerel. You may not catch any for the day, 
but there they are for you to, and we'll even work. I'll, I'll catch mackerel, which I did. I used to catch mackerel to keep the box topped up. And um, he wouldn't have it to be, and he put a load in the local press and Western Morning News and all the rest of it. And, oh, oh. <laughs> of course, later on, we came to fishing for the boat, which was a whole different concept. That was ten guys who were going out for nothing on the grounds of fishing yeah, for uh, the boat. That was their choice, and all the fish belonged to the yeah, the skipper. I but didn't. I, I didn't do a lot of that. I thought. No, you, you never did. Went, no, because it, it it would all be a little bit not right. The same as commercially fishing them with nets after you've done all that with anglers, and then turning your back on it by trying to slaughter it. I didn't think that no, was. No, you right. never did. That. No, 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 no. But one no, or no. two did. Oh yes, they did. Yes, they did. And one individual, who shall remain nameless. They had a whacking day. They'd caught two thousand pounds odd of fish. And one of them was a club record contender, and he wanted asked if he could take it, and he was charged twenty pounds for it. He had to pay for the fish that he wanted yeah. because he had fished for the boat and had gone free. Yeah. Now you've got to stand somewhere on this. I oh, know when we had the adventures, I know the, um, which I wouldn't angle in as such. Then. I've, really, I've always kept in touch to this day, and they'll come down this year, I'm sure, if they're all still alive. I'm, I've lost their, we've lost one there just after Christmas, one you yeah. don't, don't know right up for. And that was for Dennis Flood, one of the UK's top anglers, and Carter, and, and Jack Reese. I've had them f come down. No matter what boat I've had, and I've chucked away my commercial side of it and took them out for a couple of days. So I had a weekend of it. We've had a lovely weekend. We've had some, perhaps once or in latter years, twice a, twice a year. Um, we've had a get together and a reminisce and, and a fish and, and, and lovely, yeah. Would I be right in saying that on a direct comparison between then and now, there's been a very marked decline in fish numbers. Yes, yeah, yeah. There is no question about that. There's, a, there is a, yeah. Get little spots of fish now that, um, and times. So there's a like this winter's just gone. There's been a load and load of cod. I think they just they've spawned now and and they've disappeared again. But it's been a fantastic winter for cod. Um, I don't know what the angling boats have done, but oh, very well. Yeah. Uh, see, it's, it's, and, and so long, I think so long as that happens, I think everything is not going to be gloom and doom. I think there's there's going to be a future, whatever. You talk about fish with their patterns and all the rest of it. You would never, ever catch in your troll or by Irk or fear or Plymouth a haddock. You wouldn't see a haddock. If you wanted to catch haddock, you go down off a Dobman. And they were always big haddock down there. They tell me now they can put a troll over the side, catch as many haddock as they want out here. And <laughs> I said, I didn't believe them. I went over and looked at some of their catches over there. Lovely great haddock, so many as you want. So they've made a return, right? Yeah. yeah. It's like the hake that we were talking about. Hake, yeah. I mean, we used to get a few. Never, never great numbers, but 
every year there would be at least one yeah. or two in double figures. I catch I catch one on on uh, on an line when we was catching the bream out back of the eddy store and he was big away, beautiful and the loveliest colours you ever you think they were just silver but they're not, they're lovely, lovely colours in them. Beautiful. Silver and pink. Yeah, beautiful fish. But uh yeah, it'd be nice to see that coming back as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So the coal fish are now gone, and the red bream did go, but are attempting a comeback. What about the other species? Pollock, for example, are they taking any sort of a hammering too? Pollock did take an hammering because uh, the activity of these French trawlers and uh, the gill netter, thousands of tons of pollock were took away. And the French. I went over to France and uh, picked up a trawler to bring back to Plymouth and uh, they were landing into France their gill netters, so many pollock as you want, they were catching them off uh, lizard. I've watched them come over to pick our nets up, I've, I've come around the Lafour's uh, channel with them and uh, they catch as many pollock as they want uh, and it didn't do a lot of good, put it that way, it didn't do a lot of good. What about the ling? There were periods when it was almost impossible to catch a ling. Mm. Yeah, he's right. Huge yeah. numbers down to nothing. Yeah. But now they're they're back of it. Mm. I know one day I had five or six anglers aboard and um and on the adventurous, one of the adventurous, and we'd done a, a, a longish trip because she was slow but only had a Ford in it and um nice boat. She was made of feral cement. <laughs> like the New Zealand boats are they are made of concrete and uh, I know we we steamed for three hours three or four hours and um, we stopped on this wreck and come the afternoon we had to stop fishing we had enough we put our exhaust under the water we had enough enough fish aboard on too deep <laughs> we had to start putting the fish around different parts of the boat to, to keep it right so that was all ling as well that was all like, and that was with half a dozen, no more than half a dozen anglers. Yeah. Did a point finally come then when there was no longer very much point in going out to the wrecks? Well, I think, in all fairness to the guys that have been doing it in recent years, I think they've had their 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 headaches. So far as uh, although they got faster boats and uh, better equipment and all of that, I think they still got problems to this day. If the tide's right and the weather's right and everything else is right off they go and they've got a nice crowd of anglers and everybody's happy and they steam for two or three hours and when they get there there's lots of floats and markers saying you can't do any fishing here because it's full of nets and that must be awfully frustrating for the guys so I think they've had their problems with uh, Especially got the customers aboard because they got to look out. Oh, well, I always found that I used to panic a bit if things weren't going right in those days. You know, I used to say, right, we've got to do something, and that was it. And, yeah, but and you I always uh, had a couple of places I could fall back. You were maintaining a reputation. <laughs> well, maybe, yeah. Oh, yeah, you did. And it had to be right every time. So you worked so hard yeah, maybe, to maintain that. Maybe. You did. Let's, let's not hedge it. You did. Yeah. You were a worker. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I didn't want that. And if you went with Jay, you know you were going to get yeah. the best that was available. Yeah, I, 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 I didn't want that. At the best time that was available too. 
I wouldn't argue with that. That's, that's absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. A commercial man, in, in my days, when I was fishing with my uncles, they would always use the wrecks as somewhere not to go. It was an obstacle. So they had to keep away from it. Now, when I started angling first, and I landed a little bit of fish on the key, I know one day I landed uh, several boxes of pollock and all the rest of it, and, um, and I'm talking about one of the old trolling skippers come over to me. He said to me, thin edge of the wedge. I said, what do you mean the thin edge of the wedge? Shouldn't be doing that. I said, what do you mean you shouldn't be doing that? I said, we've caught that with a rod and line. That's all rod and line caught fish. He said, yeah, but that's an oasis. You've been fishing an oasis. You shouldn't be fishing that. So I had to leave them for <laughs> to leave for the fish to leave there so we could catch with his net. <laughs> so I had to be a little bit careful what I'd done and what I said because in the same as the two fish in there, if they went away with cargoes fulls of fish, especially the locals, I ended up stopped taking the locals. I was just a select few that I took from Plymouth, the ones that I knew wouldn't abuse. This uh, boy Waterfield and Roger Hoskins they didn't want fish because they were keen anglers, lovely, lovely boys. And I had to be careful because not only did I get a little bit of flack from the skippers of the trawlers, I get a bit of flack from the guys that sold the fish on the hand carts and the shops. I know the guy that was out with you, he went down the street, he sold so-and-so, Pollock and Ling and all. So I had to be careful and, 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 and I could see their point of view. If they were trying to make a living, fish didn't make a lot of money in those days, but if they were trying to make a living knocking on people's doors selling fish and they'd already been sold fish by cheaper from somebody else um, so uh, people don't understand that it was it wasn't all what it seemed I had to be um, careful there were one or two groups that used to come down from Wales in particular with a trailer yes yes you had to put a stop to that they would come down and literally film the trailer go straight back to Wales and they'd be around flogging them around the pubs in Cardiff and wherever. So there was, there's always two sides to a story, isn't it? You know, now that's going back to the (laughs) two, two fish. Would it be accurate then to say that the time and fishing we've just been talking about really was a golden era, or are we just three agency anglers reminiscing about the good old days? I think so. At what point then did you either come out of or simply start to drift away from the wreck fishing then? I had the tuna pen and I wanted a buyer of John Owen and uh, for some peculiar reason he wouldn't sell her to me. He um, let John burn have her, didn't he? Because I, um, what with one thing and another, I... Uh, <laughs> I never understood that. There was a friend of mine who was on the west coast of Scotland catching a lot of lobsters and I couldn't allow that to happen. So uh, I upstick, I took a Sunday off further and off, I, I went up there and on the lobsters. And um, yeah, was, that was a good experience anyway. And the rest, you may, may say, is history. With the boat and a reputation that also made history. No, no, 
No regrets then? Absolutely. I have to say, it's been great talking to you. My thanks then to both yourself and to Mike for helping preserve this as a piece of angling history, which it most certainly is. Mm -hmm.